Second Peter chapter one. Glad you can make it out on a wet, chilly Sunday morning here. Second Peter chapter one. Let's pray. Lord, as always, we just pray the Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and teach. And for those that came out this morning, help us just to learn of you, to grow in you, to go deeper in you, and to truly live it, Lord. And all we say and all we do. In your name, amen. All right, Second Peter chapter 1. Now, starting a new book this morning. It's always kind of fun to start a new book, but at the same time, it's always difficult because as you get into that study, uh, I just so thoroughly enjoyed what we were doing in Matthew and when we went into Acts a little bit. So when I was kind of praying, what does the next book look like to kind of continue this theme that the Lord's laid on our heart? And this theme comes back from the book of Matthew. I love studying the Gospels. I love studying the life of Jesus. And as we ended the book of Matthew, it ends in Matthew 28 with that great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we talk about those four things. To go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And we spent the last few weeks, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to go? Does that mean that you're called to go over to Africa? No. It just means that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you're willing to go. I'm going to go talk to that person at the park. I'm going to go talk to that coworker. I'm going to go represent Christ to that family member. I'm going to go serve at that position at church. That's what it means to go. What's it mean to make disciples, as we talked about before? It's not just going through a discipleship class. That's great. It's not just going to Bible studies. But that word make disciples means to get involved in their life, and they get involved in your life. And you really stop and you say, I really want to grow in Christ. I really want to help this person become the godly man or woman they've called us to be. So often in this American society, we have this little 10, 15-minute conversation with people that consists of small talk that means absolutely nothing in the whole scheme of eternity. The biblical concept of relationships is to really get involved and to really dig into that. That's awkward. It's difficult sometimes. It takes us out of our comfort zone. But that's what the Lord has called us to do, is to really build those relationships and make disciples. Teaching, we've talked about baptism, having a baptism service, obviously, next Sunday. So we then went into Acts, and we looked at the practical example in the book of Acts. Well, what was the next book to go into with that? Second Peter is not the one you would think about. When you think about Second Peter, you normally think of chapter 3, end times, events, chapter 2, the worry about false teachers and how to combat that. But there's this great opening passage in Second Peter chapter 1 that is talking about everything we talked about. Look here at Second Peter 1, verse 8. It talks about how if you do these things, these things listed in verses 5, 6, and 7, which we'll get into. It says that you will abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Right there. We walk in this barrenness, this unfruitfulness. And God wants us to abound. Verse 9, we walk in a blindness, a short-sightedness. We don't look at things through the scheme of eternity. And 2 Peter chapter 1 is trying to remind us, it's not about the here and now. It's about eternity, representing Christ and always say and do. So with that mindset, 2 Peter. Now, who is Peter? Peter should be familiar to you. We just got done studying the Gospels. Peter was a fisherman. Good blue-collar guy that the Lord called to be one of his disciples. Now, we can relate to Peter a lot. Let me just share what Peter was like in the Gospels. Tell me if this reminds you of yourself. Peter butted in when he shouldn't. Peter spoke when he should have kept his mouth shut. Peter made promises to God that he couldn't keep. 
And when the going got tough and he was dejected, he quit ministry. That's the Peter of the Gospels. Now, something obviously happened because the Peter of Acts is different. The Peter of 1 Peter and 2 Peter is different. In fact, this is Peter's swan song, if you will. He mentions numerous times through this epistle that his death is imminent. We don't know for sure what happened. Church tradition has us that Peter was martyred and crucified. But we don't know for sure. Peter changed. What changed? Well, you can trace it back to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon Peter. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was a different man. In fact, so much that in Acts chapter 4, when Peter is arrested for preaching about Jesus, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership at the time, stops and says, who is this guy? This is that fisherman that hung out with Jesus. How did he become this? Because he hung out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is what we can learn. Because I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to butt in when I shouldn't. I have a tendency to speak when I should keep my mouth shut. I have a tendency to make promises to God that I can't keep. And I have a tendency to sometimes want to quit when I get dejected. I can relate to all of that. And so now what we have here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is what does it really mean to go out and live it? That's what let's talk about that. 2 Peter 1 verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you're going to see a little bit here at the beginning of 2 Peter, these long flowing sentences. That's very typical in these epistles because the standard of how they taught back then, how they wrote back then, is the first sentence could be just this long, very expressive Greek phrase. It's actually broken down into numerous verses. So that's kind of the cultural context of the day. But let's just break this down and keep it simple. First off, we have Simon Peter. Note the two names. Note the two names. Simon was his name that he had. Peter's the name that the Lord gave him. If you remember that passage where he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And he said, Peter, you're a rock. You're a pebble. You're a part of this. And so he has his name Simon, the fisherman's name. Peter, the name the Lord gave him. He has this past, but he also has this future in the Lord. But two interesting terms there. Bond, servant, and apostle. Some of your translations may just call it servant. It's important to know what that word means, bondservant. Now, there was a hierarchy of slaves back during Bible times. It's kind of interesting to think about that, that they would have slaves. That was this hierarchy of importance. The bondservant, Greek term adulos, was the lowest of the slaves. So this term that Peter is using is saying, I am at the lowest of the low. Lowest of the low. This is not some type of humble brag. This is him literally saying, I am nothing. I think if you'd go up and ask Peter what your spiritual resume looked like, I think he would say, well, I'm the guy that tried to tell Jesus to not go to the cross. I'm the guy that was cutting off people's ears when I should have been praying. I'm the guy that denied him three times. I'm the guy that quit and went back to fishing. I'm just a bondservant. I'm nothing. That's the first step you got to realize. If you really want to be used by the Lord, realize you're the lowest of the low. But this is a willful servant. This is not force. This is not have to. If you study out what a bond servant was, they willfully gave their life up to serve the master that they loved. Now, the next word is he's an apostle, one who has been sent. Here's the key, first point. You have to learn to serve first before you can be sent. You got to learn to serve first before you can be sent. So often we want the big ministry. I see it in pastors a lot. You want the big church. You want the fancy this. You want the lots of people. You got to learn how to wash feet first. You got to serve. You want that Bible say go good. You want your marriage to go better. You want your relationships to go better. You want everything in life to go better. 
You've got to learn to serve first. Remember, John 13, Jesus came out and said, this is the example I'm giving to you. Get out there and wash feet first. And you see this with Peter. I'm a bondservant first, and then I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Serve first, then you get sent out. Next, what does God give us? Well, take a look at this, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. And his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. That's one of those long, flowing sentences that can be overwhelming to us. Break it down really simple. Verse 3, he's given us all things. That's what you need to know right there. He has given you all things. Now, what specifically has God given you? Verse 1, verse 2, grace. It's a gift. That's what grace means. It's a gift. The first thing he gives you is grace. You getting what you don't deserve. God did not save you because you're this great person or you've earned it. No, you're a sinner just like me. And the first thing the Lord gives us is grace. Heaven, eternal life. Next thing that we have is peace. Now, that's a difficult word to define. Because I don't know what peace looks like for sure because sometimes peace is so difficult to grasp. In fact, the Bible says that God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. So therefore, if you can understand it, maybe it's not that deep peace that God is talking about. Because peace is not security and finances. Peace is not good health. Because I know people that have lots of finances. They don't have peace. I know people that have no money and they have peace. Peace is not in your health. I know people who are healthy and they have no peace. And I have no people who are not healthy and they do have peace. So peace is where you can stop and say, Lord, I trust you in the big picture. I, I see the big picture. I trust you. I have peace in this. That you're God. I'm not. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I was talking to one of my boys who was getting worked up recently. And then we just did for devotions that passage in Matthew where it says, do not worry about tomorrow. So he was worried and worked up about something happening that day. And I went up to him and I said, buddy, what did we just read in Matthew chapter 6? Do not worry about tomorrow. And his response was, but dad, the issue is today, not tomorrow. I'm not worried about tomorrow. He's going to grow up to be the Pharisee legalistic because he had it. Peace. What else do we have here? What else has he given us? Verse 3. He's given you life. You're breathing right now. Your heart is pumping right now. You have life. He's given you life. What else is he's given you? Godliness. That's a phrase that means God-likeness. You get to have this relationship with him. You get to be like the Lord. This does not mean you become gods. But you get to be like Jesus Christ to represent him. Which takes us to the next word there. Partakers of the divine nature. He wants to do this with you. He just didn't save you and then got out of the way and say, okay, now figure it out. He wants to do this with you. His Holy Spirit is inside of you. He wants to grow with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to partake of this life with you. And as you partake of it, verse 4, you're supposed to escape. Escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So therefore, I'm supposed to escape the lust, the evil desires. Guys, we're called to be different. We're called to be different in how we live and how we act as a believer My eyes need to be careful what they look at. My ears need to be careful what I listen to. My mouth has to be careful what I say. I have been called to be different and escape this world. I've said out here so many times. So often you see Christians 
who talk like the world, dress like the world, act like the world, live like the world, then what is really separated from us? The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize we are going to be different. We're going to be so weird to the world. We are. And the problem that I see, and I see this happening a lot in churches today, is we try to be so relatable to the world. Guys, we can't relate. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't go witness to them. But there's a difference in how we're called to live. And be careful of trying to find that way to get in. No, the longer I study the Bible, the more I realize God says, you're going to be relatable by being so different. They're going to see you and say, what are you doing? You, you never used to talk this way. You never used to, I used to be able to talk to you about this and that. And now your words are different. This is different. What happened? You've escaped the world's lust. And now the Bible says that you're a light shining for the Lord. Now, Paul tells you to become all things to all people. Find a way to go there and represent Jesus Christ to them through the Spirit. But please understand, the longer you walk with the Lord and the longer we live in this world, we're going to become stranger and stranger to them. Just remember that. There was called to escape. Now, part of the reason I wanted to go through Second Peter, this is that introduction to get us to this point. So often when we talk about what it means to grow as a Christian, we don't know what that looks like. We're used to this mindset of uh, I take a test, I do a paper, I get a grade back. So you give me a B. Okay, B, I'm above average. Get it. I'm not a C, I'm not an A, I'm a B. Or we have this scale. You got 40 out of 50 or something like that. And it's very objective then to say this is what it is. But when I come to you and I say, hey, are you growing in your walk and relationship with Christ? That's very subjective. I don't know what does that look like to grow. Guess what you have here in verses 5, 6, and 7? You have a line of words. And when you put this line out and you put the words right after each other, you see a step-by-step process in your walk and relationship with Christ. And what you have here is you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight different words. And we're going to go right through them. And you're going to be able to stop and say, okay. This is where I'm at. I see the beginning, I see the end, and I see the path in the middle where I'm supposed to be growing. Now, here's the deal about going deeper in the Lord. You've heard me use these phrases a lot lately. You can't bully somebody into wanting to go deeper in Christ. You're here this morning. There's at least part of you that says, I want something more. Amen. Thank you for coming. I'm supposed to give you the tools to equip you. I can't whip you into going deeper. As you go through this list... You may find yourself on the far left. Well, you know what? I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you're here. But please look at the growth that the Lord is asking of us. He's not going to force you. He's asking. And as we go through this together, I hope there's a desire to say, I want more. I want more. Please remember in Matthew 13, we're going to get to this in a little bit. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seeds. The Bible talks about the rate of return, if you will, of being a follower of Christ. So you get saved. Amen. The Bible says that you are now a seed of the Lord's. But it says that some returned 30, 60, 100 fold. 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, you're saved. Hopefully you have some return for the Lord. But there's a whole other level. You go from 30 to 60. And guess what happens when you hit 60 fold return? You look back and you say, wow, I thought I had it figured out there five years ago. I see there's a whole deeper level with Christ. And guess what happens in five years? You go from 60 to 100. Then you start to think, wow, I thought I had it figured out five years ago. And then you start realizing this process is a constant growing process. One of the biggest problems facing the church today in America is this what I call plateau Christianity. You get saved. 
you are morally a good, decent person, and you talk about the Lord, you go to church here and there, you serve, and you just flatline spiritually. There's, there's a growth, there's a depth, there's I want more. What does it look like? Well, here we have it. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Eight words, let's put them in order, and let's see what the growth process looks like. First one that you see here in verse 5, you see this idea of faith. That's where it all begins. Faith. That's your first step. You have faith. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. So you have faith in an eternal God. Now, we're going to get into resurrection week here in just a few weeks. I was not there when they crucified Christ. I didn't see it happen. I didn't see them put the body in the tomb, and I didn't see the tomb become empty. But I have faith that it happened. I have never seen heaven, but I have faith that it's there. I've never seen the Holy Spirit living inside of me, but I have faith that it was there. I did not see them write Genesis through Revelation, but I have faith that it was the Holy Inspired Word of God. Faith, that's where it all begins. You're not saved because you're some good person that the Lord really wanted to use, and boy, I really like you. Faith in the unseen God, that's where it all begins. You have lots of questions. I have lots of questions. Most of our questions are why. The Lord's not worried about why. He's worried about one question, where. Where are you going to spend eternity? Faith. After faith, virtue. Some of your translations, goodness, moral excellence. So now you have faith. You've accepted Christ. You believe that he exists. You have a relationship with Christ. What's the next thing that happens in your walk with the Lord? You start to change. There's some goodness that comes out of you, some moral excellence. There's some virtue. All of a sudden, You don't say those words you used to say. You don't watch those programs you used to watch. You don't do those things that you used to do. You start to see some actual outside changes in your life. And maybe as time goes on, people look at you and say, you're a little different. Things start to bother you a little bit. Words that you used to use very colorfully now all of a sudden make you cringe. A program that you used to think was the greatest thing in the world, now when you turn it on, it's like... That kind of bothers me a little bit. You start to see moral issues happening in the world, and all of a sudden now you have an opinion on that. And it's like, I can't call right that right. There is a moral excellence, a goodness or virtue. You start to change on the outside because you realize, I am different. Amen. What happens next in our walk with the Lord? Verse 5, knowledge. Now all of a sudden you say, I want to learn. You never would have done this. I'm going to actually mark a verse in my Bible. Every time I get a brand new Bible, I I have the same Bible for about the last 20 years. Now, I keep getting newer versions of it because I wear it out, but it's the exact same version because the way my mind works is I have it memorized, column, page, etc. And so the way my mind works, if somebody mentions a passage to me, and they say, you know, James chapter 1, uh, 19, swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The way my mind works is I have two columns on the right side, upper right. I got it memorized. Now, knowledge. But the problem is every time I get a new Bible, I can't mark in it. I've been a Christian for 23 years. And I get the pen out. I like the verse. I do this. And I just, my hand starts to shake. I just, I, it's hard for me to mark that Bible. So I understand. So you, you now are coming to church. You bring a Bible with you. You may even take a note. You may even say, oh, that was kind of good. I need to write that down. 
You circle a verse, you mark a verse, you underline a verse. All of a sudden, you're, you're maybe doing a little bit of devotions in the morning. You hear about one of these small group studies and you think, you know what, I may do that marriage discipleship class. With the women. I may sign up for that discipleship class. There's a knowledge happening where you desire to grow in the Lord and you may turn a television program off and, and start studying because you want more. Your knowledge is growing. What happens after that? Next one, verse 6, self-control. See, Goodness, virtue, moral excellence is on the outside. Self-control now on the inside starts to change a little bit. You start talking to the Lord. Now, I understand that if you're new to the faith, if you're here this morning, you're not saved. It sounds completely, utterly crazy, and I get that. But there comes a time and a place where you realize God lives inside of you in the Holy Spirit. And there's this ongoing, never-ending conversation between you and him. So that way when Paul said, never stop praying, it doesn't mean that you're constantly having your eyes closed, hands in the air on your knees. You're in constant communication with the Lord. Something happens at work, and it's like, Lord, I need wisdom for that. Constantly communicating. All of a sudden now there's this self-control where you were used to be in public and you didn't care what you let your eyes wander to. Now there's like, I don't want to look at that. Now the moral outside goodness is people see that. The inside self-control is No one else knows. No one else knows that you didn't watch that program. You didn't look that up online. No one else knows that you caught yourself and you didn't say those words. No one else knows that in your mind you see people now and it's like, you know what, I just need to pray for them. There's something happening now on the inside where your mind is starting to be renewed, as the Bible says, and you start looking at things through a spiritual lens. This is where it gets tough. Look at our next word. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, some of your words, patience, endurance, etc. This is usually where the enemy starts to hit. He's fine, you got the faith thing, okay, fine, can't stop that. Okay, you're starting to make some changes, okay, fine, be good. You want to read a little more in the Bible, read a little more in the Bible. You want to have a better thought life, have a better thought life. But now, I'm going to wait a little bit, the enemy says, and now I'm going to hit you. Now I'm going to hit you in your health. I'm going to hit you in your finances. I'm going to hit you at work. And do you have the faith that goes through difficult times? There are so many passages in the Bible about a faith that falters. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I want to be a better person. Yeah, I'm willing to read and pray. And yeah, I'm willing in my heart to try to make changes. But you know what? This life isn't fair. I don't like it. This is really difficult. And Lord, I'm just going to kind of give up. I still believe in you. Okay, well, then you hit perseverance, patience, endurance, and you hit a wall. This is where faith starts to kick in. Because now all of a sudden life is difficult and you realize, do I really trust this unseen God? Do I really trust all these things that I've now read over and prayed over and studied? And do I have the faith to persevere? Do I have the faith to endure through difficult times? When you get through that, what happens next? Verse 6, godliness. Godlikeness. You're not God. But all of a sudden, your mind just starts to realize, I just want to die to myself. I just want to disappear. I don't want to exist the way I used to exist. I just want to represent Jesus Christ in all that I say and do. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people get the faith one. A lot of people get the virtual moral excellence. They make changes. Some people even get into the knowledge. I want to grow the self-control. But that hump of the perseverance, patience, endurance... Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Read all the passages in the Bible about enduring to the end, not having a faith that falters. Because once you get over that hump, 
and you get to the godliness, you start realizing it just doesn't matter anymore, does it? And the whole scheme of heaven and hell, how much really matters? Because if I want to be like Christ, then my eyes are on the cross, my focus is on eternity, and I just want to represent Jesus in all that I do and say. It's not about me. Guys, this is the hard one. Dawn and I just had a situation not too long ago where something was happening and uh, there was a medical issue going on with someone out here at church and was getting updates throughout the day and uh, kind of waiting to see if I needed to go up to the hospital or not. And so as I was kind of waiting to see if I needed to go up to the hospital or not, Dawn and I were having this discussion and our discussion was about dusting. Kind of see dusting from two different perspectives. So the conversation started getting a little bit more intense about dusting. Because you know this is a very big deal. You know that, don't you? And so I explained my point of view on dusting, and she explained her point of view on dusting. And it was hard for her to see she was wrong, and so it was difficult as this conversation <laughs> kept getting more and more intense. Because you know in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, I don't want to dust for all of eternity. I'm just telling you that right now. But in the midst of this conversation on dusting, you get the text. Then all of a sudden you realize there's a lot more going on in life. Dusting does not matter. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but I'm telling you right now, there are things that you're going to get worked up on at home, at work, at school, clothes, dishes, laundry, the way this person treats you at work, the way that person drives a car, the way somebody looked at you at church, all this other type of stuff. And the whole scheme of heaven and hell doesn't matter. It does not matter. Godliness is, Lord, I have died to myself. I no longer exist, and I just want to represent Jesus Christ in all I say and do, because I want to be like you. And when you reach that point, the next one, brotherly kindness. Some of your Bibles say mutual affection. The actual Greek word is phileo, is brotherly love. Because now all of a sudden you start saying, oh, wait a second. There's other people in this world. There's other people in this world that are hurting. It's not all about me. Oh, there's other people in this world that need ministered to. It's not about me. It's not like, oh, I have a free Saturday. I can do whatever I want. No, I have a free Saturday. Look, who can I go represent Jesus to? So now when I'm going through that checkout line and that person behind me is just a real pain, maybe I stop and think, maybe they're really struggling with something. Maybe I need to pray for them. You start seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus where you stop and you say, there is something bigger than just me. And I want to go represent Jesus Christ to them, brotherly love. And our last word, agape, love. This is the different Greek word. There's three different words for love in the Greek language. This is a God-given love of where all of a sudden now in the whole scheme of eternity, you see things from God's perspective and that's how I want to live. So you know what? It doesn't matter what they said. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how many people show up on a Sunday. I just want to show agape love. Because in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, there's so much going on. Is that person saved or not saved? That is what matters. How can I better represent Christ? Now this all sounds good. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and then agape love. Why is this so difficult to do? Quickly, please. Verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. 
See, God says, I want you to take these things, verse 8, and I want you to abound. Now, here's the problem with the English language. That word for abound in the Greek is a much different word. It literally means the best translation we can come up with is, I want you to superabound. That doesn't translate real well. So imagine going into work tomorrow and they said, you know, what type of day are you hoping to have today at work? I want to superabound. It just doesn't come across good. What this word is saying in verse 8 is once you get this, you just want your life to go crazy for the Lord. And just everything is Him. I just don't want to go to church anymore. I just don't want to crack a Bible open. I just don't want to serve. I really want to look at eternity and say, Lord, I, I get it now. I get it. I want a super abound in you. Why don't we do it? Because look at verse 8. There's a few words here. Barren, unfruitful. Verse 9, short-sighted and blind. See, the first word there, barren, literally means idle or lazy. When you're barren, there's an idleness, there's a laziness. Now, here's the problem. You may say, well, I'm not barren. I am so busy. I am busy at work. I'm busy at home. You should see my calendar of commitments. I am busy at church. I am busy all over the place. That's not the context of this. The context of this is a spiritual busyness for the Lord. Trust me, I know people that are not idle, they are not lazy. But they sure are spiritually idle and they sure are spiritually lazy. They're so busy, but are they busy about the Lord? There's a barrenness spiritually. Next one, unfruitful. Literally, unproductive, ineffective. Time does not permit us to go there, but in Matthew chapter 30, unfruitful. In Matthew chapter 30, in the parable of the sower and the seeds, it says that the one group became unfruitful. Why? Because the cares of the world choke them out. See, the enemy knows how to get you sometimes. I want to go deeper. Okay, you want to go deeper? Well, guess what? You're now doing 50 hours a week at work. Lord, I really want to go deeper. Oh, you want to go deeper? Okay, well, now you have two sick children. It gets tougher. Commitments, calendars, etc. And so we have this heart's desire. Lord, I want it. I have faith. I have virtue. I have knowledge. I have self-control. But the perseverance, the patient endurance now knocks me back. Because why? Now I am barren and unfruitful. And when that happens, what really happens, verse 9, I become short-sighted. I don't look at things through eternity anymore. My life is just so crazy right now, you won't believe it. And so what happens, I have these conversations with people. And they tell me about everything going on, and their life is busy. There's nothing about eternity. There's a health issue. Boy, we'll pray for that. There's a family issue. Boy, we'll pray for that. There's a work issue. Well, we'll pray for that. And I got this going. Okay, we'll pray for that. But what about eternity? What about heaven and hell and, and, and dying to ourselves? We're so focused on us, we become short-sighted. And ultimately, verse 10, excuse me, verse 9, blindness. You don't even see it goes back to the point I said earlier. I can't bully you into wanting it. I can't whip you into wanting it. I can just present it to you and say, I hope you want this. And this is why we're going through Second Peter. I hope you want this. I hope that you don't want to just be content and plateau. I hope you want to go deeper. And this is something the Lord's been working on me for years. Just this idea of what does it look like to really just die to ourselves and live for you. And I tell you, in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, people, so much just doesn't matter. Be careful of what we choose to waste our time and energy on. It's not worth it. We want more of the Lord. 
We want to superabound. I don't want to be unfruitful. I don't want to be barren. I don't want to be short-sighted. I don't want to be blind. I don't want a lot of little things to get me anymore. I want it to be all for Christ and we say and do. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song.